0: I cover the waterfront I'm watching the sea Will the one I love Be coming back To me I cover the waterfront In search of my love And I'm covered by A starlit sky above Here am I Patiently waiting, hoping and longing, oh how I yearn, where are you, are you forgetting, Do you remember, will you return, I cover the waterfront, I'm watching the sea, for the one I love must soon come back to me
1: where is everybody for christ's sake called it quits i guess it's only midnight what's the point of taking the night boat if you go to bed early barkeep see him again had to help Fitz to bed he was out cold Nothing worse than an Irishman who can't hold his liquor. Lay off. He's been dealt a bad hand. Fitz has milked that dead wife and baby story for more than ten years. Turned him into a rummy. He doesn't take a drop when he's shooting. Only reason he's still working. Where's the talent? The sporting girls? Probably entertaining in their cabins. Didn't know I had to carve my initials in them to get a taste. Ooh. Hang on. Who's the little wren? Where? Sitting with Carl. The Bricktop. Know her? Sure. Not the type you're looking for. She's a dame, ain't she? They're all my type after midnight.
2: Looks like you're too late. She's going to bed.
1: We can't let her get lonesome. Come on, let's see if the boys want to have some fun. She'll lock the door. Never busted a lock? Tiddlywinks. Bet I won't even have to. You can get her to open the door. How? Dame out here in bad shape. Needs a woman's help. I don't go for that sort of thing, Winston. Ah, listen to Miss Forty Button Gloves over here. I don't go for that sort of thing, Winston. Barkeep, give me a bottle of whiskey. Put your trousers on, Cyril. Let's see if the fellas are game. We're gonna have a little party.
3: Oh in some muscle, will you? Since when do you need help?
4: He's too big for me. I can't handle him. He's staring at my legs.
3: You're imagining things.
4: You won't have to imagine my screams in a minute if you don't get one of the lads over here.
3: All right. Keep your shirt on. Hiya, Sean. Lou needs a little help. Yeah, he's a big one. Thanks, honey. He's coming right over. Ah, oh, swell. You're not staying? You're going to leave me alone. You've handled worse. Make sure
4: Sean cleans up the mess, too. I better not find any blood on my floor. Chicken. Sticks and stones. (laughs) I went for a manicure. Carnation pink nail polish. Then I stopped for a couple of tamales, careful not to ruin the fresh paint job. When I got back to the office, the place wasn't empty. I looked at the blotter on Kate's desk for messages, ignoring the woman who sat on the couch against the wall. Her legs were crossed at the ankles. She wore a black wool dress, and the strand of marbles around her neck probably cost 20 grand. A leather clutch bag with a large gold clasp rested on her knees. I waited for her ladyship to speak first. Miss Mulrooney, I presume? Name's on the door. Who might you be? My name is Irene Brier. Are you available? That depends. Available for what, Miss Breyer? How did you know it's Miss? Well, married ladies generally wear a gold ring on their left hand. <laughs> of course. What can I do for you?
5: My father died last week. I'm sure you read about it in the papers.
4: David Breyer? Had a Minerva pictures?
5: Yes. He died at the studio. It was a stroke, wasn't it? Well, the coroner's report said it was a stroke. Death from natural causes. And you disagree with the report? My father was in excellent health.
4: Then he was the only healthy studio boss in town. Most of the bigwigs have heart trouble, chronic ulcers, neuralgia, the works. My father didn't drink or smoke. He
5: took daily exercise. He had a sensible diet. His biggest indulgence was the occasional ice cream soda.
4: Well, Miss Briar, long hours take a toll. Especially for a man over 60.
5: Look, are you interested in what I have to say? Or are you just going to tell me I'm wrong, like every other detective in the phone book?
4: You wouldn't be my first choice either, Miss Briar, if it's time to let our hair down.
5: Okay, apparently I was mistaken. I thought you were different. Being a woman, I thought you'd actually listen to me.
4: I'm a private investigator, not a sob-sister. If the coroner ruled natural causes, what evidence do you have that it wasn't? Right before he
5: died, father was upset. He wasn't sleeping. Letters came to the house. four in one week, he opened the first and turned as white as the sheet in his hand. I've searched his office and at the studio and at home, and I can't find the letters or anything that would explain his agitated state.
4: Blackmail? Did you check his accounts?
5: Of course, as soon as he died. He didn't pay out any large sums. There's nothing out of the ordinary in the ledger. His stocks and bonds were all untouched in his safe. There's nothing. So he wasn't blackmailed? Well, maybe he was, but he tried not to pay.
4: That's a big maybe. Well, what
5: do you want me to do? Find the letters and who sent them. I cannot believe a man as strong as a bull can just drop dead one day. I have to know why my father died.
4: I may not be able to deliver the answers you're looking for. Listen, write a check for $250. That's a retainer. My fee is 25 bucks a day plus expenses.
5: $25 a day? The other detectives charge 20
4: Hey, call it risk insurance. Unlike those boys, I don't enjoy getting knocked around. It's an occupational hazard, you understand? Okay. What might I expect
5: from you, at
4: a higher rate? I can go where those mugs can't. No one's expecting me. Every half with a buzzer in his pocket looks the same. rumpled suit and a crushed fedora, and I don't lick up whiskey like it's part of the job.
5: I see. Well, discretion is important. I would hate for this to damage the studio's reputation.
4: All right, Miss Mulraney, let's get it a try. Hell, call me Lou. We're not in the country club now. I hurried across town to get a jump on things. I was hoping to catch Betty Smith at Minerva. No one would dare call her anything but Smitty. Smitty was always on the clock. Before a star landed in the drunk tank, she arrived with bail and hush money for the boys. When a star couldn't afford a layoff to have a baby, she arranged for an abortion at a private clinic. You get the drift. Smitty was the head of publicity, what they called a suppress agent. She cleaned up problems for the studio. She was there to protect the star and studio image, which prevented censors or reformers from jumping down their necks with a boycott. If things had been different, Smitty might have become a police officer like her old man. But the forest is still run by cavemen who believe women are soft, slow, and weak. But Smitty rarely had time to kick about it. She was too busy cashing big fat paychecks for covering up the dirt. And she always looked as glamorous as any of the stars on the lot. You got a minute? Sure, just catching up on my knitting. You gonna
6: answer that? The service will pick it up. If it was an emergency, I'd have a mob in here by now. What's new? Thought you might be the one to see about recent events. Narrow
4: it down to headlines, will you? Biggest headlines about the joint. Specifically, your boss, who turned up his toes. You remember him? (laughs) Remember him? I found him. I couldn't forget if I wanted to. Gee, Smitty, that's rough. I sure do make you earn your salary. Why do you ask? My client suspects foul play. Mm, he was an old man. Uh, that's what I said. Well, when I
6: found him, he was curled up like a shrimp cocktail on ice. Didn't move or say one word, but his eyes were wide open. Not a hair out of place or a mark on him, though. No one else in sight. But the papers left out the fact that he didn't die until the next morning.
4: I was with him the whole time. My client seems to think that brya's stroke wasn't... Entirely natural. That he had been hounded by a blackmailer.
6: (laughs) Blackmail? On my watch? That's as likely to happen as Clark Gable joining a monastery. (laughs) I guess not. Nobody squawks about my work, and you know it. Eh, Everybody knows you're in a tight outfit, Smitty. Must be hard up for dough if you take on cranks like that. Say, Lou, why don't you come to work for me here in the studio? Pays better than what you're earning now. And you could afford to buy a decent pair of shoes for a change. Uh,
4: My shoes are cute. (laughs) What are they made of, a mop? They're called espadrilles. The soles are made of rope. Can't afford leather? Or do you have to swab decks to keep the lights on? You ought to try them. See, they muffle your step, which comes in handy when your racket is peeping on film stars.
6: Hmm, quite an endorsement from someone who earns a crust spying on husbands
4: to sleep with their secretaries. Look, if there's no truth to the blackmail rumors, how do you explain the four letters Briar received before he died? Letters that kept him up at night.
6: Oh, so that's it. Irene's your client. Could be. Well, it'd be in her best interest to make blackmail allegations. How do you figure? Use your noodle. Irene obviously wants to install herself in Daddy's spot. Run the studio. Now she uncovers a conspiracy... It'll put her over with the investors in New York. She cries blackmail, mentions some letters no one else around here has seen. It makes her look smart. One step ahead. And even if it never goes public, the money men will think she's the natural heir. Well, you might have something there. Believe me, I know the angles. Irene Breyer has her eyes on her father's office. A blackmail threat is leveraged to close the deal.
4: I went back to the office to think about what Smitty said. It made sense to me. I hadn't decided whether I should confront Irene, look for the letters, or drop the case when the phone ran. Mulraney well, Investigations?
1: Let me speak to Lou. Speaking? Uh, <laughs> I was expecting a man.
4: Yeah, I get that a lot. What can I do for you, Mr...
1: Montgomery. Would it be possible to meet outside your office? It's, um, delicate. Always is. What did you have in mind? Would you take a drive with me? I can be there in five minutes. Is that a lie? I assure you, it's on the level. In my position, I'd rather not be seen in your office or out in public with you.
4: Ah, but I clean up so nice. All right, Mr. Montgomery, you honk when you get here.
1: Thanks for being a good sport. Um, I was hoping you might be able to help me with the missus. To find help? I'd like to send her a message. It isn't the kind that goes with flowers or candy. I saw the brush off? In a matter of speaking.
4: Why don't you give me some details?
1: Well, Miss Mulraney, it's an old story. My wife stepped out on me.
4: Past tense. No longer?
1: I'm pretty sure they're washed up. She changed her hair. She's wearing it down the way I like it. He liked her hair up.
4: Very accommodating of her.
1: She has a pattern. New hairdo, new clothes, new fella. This isn't the first time she's gotten tangled up with another man. When she has a man on the side, I never hear a crossword from her. When she doesn't, I hear nothing but complaints.
4: Well, if she broke it off, I won't be able to catch her in the act.
1: I know, but I think I've had enough. If you can get proof of the last one, I can use it in divorce court.
4: You mean get yourself off the hook for alimony?
1: Is there something wrong with not wanting her hand in my wallet once we split?
4: That all depends. Who's your wife?
1: I publish Studio Scoop, which is why I'm asking for a meeting on The Quiet. I don't want my affairs made public.
4: No, you just print everyone else's private life in your scandal sheet. Now you write stories for people who lick their lips when they read.
1: Are your hands clean? Most people would lump you in with ambulance chasers and picture snatchers.
4: Eh, I'm not trying to get my name on the social register, or pass myself off as some blue blood, Mr. Montgomery.
1: Let me tell you something. When I was a kid, my old man used me as a punching bag. He'd thump me for any reason. If he gambled away to rent money, if dinner was late, if it rained. One time, I caught a break. My dog, Champ, intervened, went to town on the old bum's arm until I got away. Later, killed my dog, and he made me watch. I swore I'd never take another beating, long as I'd lived. That includes taking one in court from my soon-to-be ex-wife. You get me? Now, do you want the job or not?
4: I wasn't as reckless as all that jumping into a strange man's car. I had Beezark, my thirty-two revolver, with me. I don't like phonies, but since the thing with Irene was about to go bust, I took the job for Winston Montgomery. The public bodies magazine's studio scoop, like it had a winning lottery ticket inside. Gossip made him wealthy and powerful. The film colony hated Winston almost as much as they hated Congressman Andrew Volstead. If Winston had married a small town girl, I would have turned him down. But his wife was Poppy Jordan, a former Zigfield girl who discovered she could make more money with her clothes on in front of the camera than she could naked on stage. And Poppy had been under contract with Minerva since they switched to sound. She was a star who could get by on her own salary. Thing is, Poppy couldn't risk a scandal. If things went sour, Winston could vent his spleen in bold type and ruin her career. A clean divorce was the best thing for her. I woke early and got to Minerva at 5 o'clock to beat the studio traffic. I knew the gate watchman. All I had to do was get in and say I had a meeting with Smitty. By 6, the place would be buzzing with hair-and-makeup stylists who worked their magic before the stars faced the camp. If Poppy had left a clue about her lover's identity at the house, Winston would have found it already. I needed a quick look in her dressing room. The place is mostly empty, and it was just my luck that I walked right into
2: Cyril Hardwick. Why are you up so early? Or haven't you been to bed yet?
4: You've got me all wrong. I've embraced the quiet life.
2: Ah, Jesus, you're a lousy liar. Are those bedroom slippers you're wearing?
4: Everyone's a fashion critic suddenly.
2: Have some coffee with me.
4: Isn't it too early to put the moves on?
2: You already know all my moves. I haven't learned any new ones since you broke my heart.
4: That how it went
2: down. I have trouble remembering ancient history. Have it your way, tough guy. What brings you around? Maybe I can help.
4: Say, can I have a quick look inside uh, Poppy's dressing room?
2: Depends on what you're looking for.
4: If I'm lucky, mash notes from an old boyfriend.
2: Poppy has round heels, but she's no dope. She wouldn't leave anything like that in there. Too many people could find them. Hairdressers, maids, wardrobe girls, picture crew. Waste of time.
4: Geez, you seem to know a lot about her, Cyril. You have been tending that lady's garden?
2: Poppy's no lady. Everybody knows that.
4: Know who she was seeing?
2: Pick any name out of a hat.
4: Now, I thought you were a producer. I didn't know you ran with the Puritan crowd. What's next? You gonna tie it to a stake?
2: Don't give me that look. What look? The look you give a man when you're ready to tear him a new one. Your eyes bulge and narrow. The vein in your throat starts beating the conga. I saw it that time when your neighbor fed the alley cats poisoned fish heads. And another time, when we were in Griffith Park and that man kicked his wife. Need I continue?
4: Cyril, honey, it's too early to fight. Can you let me inside her dressing room or not?
2: Go right ahead, Lou. You always do what you want anyway.
4: See, you don't have to trade vows and cut a cake with a fella for him to get the idea that he owns you. That's the trouble with men. They like things one way, their way. I blew Cyril a kiss and left him to sulk. Poppy's dressing room was empty. She had the usual clutter, scripts, memos, fan letters, and a stack of 8x10s with our girl posed in spangles, lingerie, or evening gowns. The dressing table had a maid's touch, everything at right angles and not a trace of powder or paint. I didn't find any cards or mash notes. But there was one possibility. In the bottom drawer of an armoire, she had stashed a little red velvet box. It held three matchbooks tied together with red silk ribbon. One was for Perino's on Wilshire Boulevard. The next one was from the track at Santa Anita. And the third book of matches was from the S.S. Yale. My guess is Poppy wasn't alone when she collected these mementos. I snuck out of the studio without running into Cyril again. and I got home, fell into bed to catch up on my beauty sleep. Kate woke me with a message from Irene Briar. She wanted me to come for tea. The Briar house was one of those big piles over on Spalding Drive in Beverly Hills. Miss Briar's expecting me. Please,
5: come in. Thank you for coming, Miss Mulraney.
4: I told you, call me Lou.
5: Yes, of course. Won't you sit down? How do you like your tea? Slice a lemon if you have it. So, have you made any progress?
4: I've been on the case for less than 24 hours.
5: But you get results, correct?
4: When there's something to find. Are we back at the beginning? You still don't believe me? I believe that you're upset about your father's death, of course.
5: You're not going to dismiss me as hysterical, are you? You know, I expected more insight
4: from you. Insight from the studio suggests there was no blackmail.
5: (laughs) Who's your source? Betty Smith? Just because she says nothing untoward happens doesn't mean it's true. After all, she's paid to make
4: unsavory incidents disappear. Hey, Smitty's on the level. She's smart enough to know that she couldn't sweep a blackmail plot under the rug just because your father died. Now wouldn't the thugs just try and squeeze the money from you? Have you received any letters? No, I haven't. But how should I know why they haven't tried
5: to extort money from me? I don't make it a habit of consorting with underworld types. Isn't that why I hired you? For your expertise in backdoor deals? I don't know, maybe I should just go back to one of the roughnecks in the telephone book.
4: I can't finesse a figment of the imagination. So far, Irene, all I have is what you say you saw. No one else has seen these letters.
5: Lou, in case you didn't know... My father wasn't a pants presser, a glove salesman, or a junk dealer. He was an educated gentleman. Maybe he was just too sensitive for the underhanded deals out here, I don't know. But I still say those letters hastened his death. And I am not the only person who's seen those letters, which is why I invited you over for tea today. Vera, come in here, please. Yes, Miss Irene? Will you tell Miss Mulraney what you found when you were cleaning? Yes, Miss. I took up the carpet in Mr. Breyer's office den. I was getting ready to put fresh wax on the floor, like I do this time of year. I found an envelope under the carpet by his desk. The one that's on the mantel. Yes, Miss. Will you kindly let our guest see it? Yes, Miss. Vera, you handed my father the post every day at the breakfast table. Do you remember when he opened one of those letters? I do, miss. I remember the handwriting looked odd, kind of unsteady. Mr. Brier turned pale when he read it. He put his head in his hands. So, you asked him if he wanted some aspirin. I sure did, Miss Irene. Why, your father was a saint. Any little thing I could do for him, I would do in a heartbeat. And you gave him three other letters that looked just like this one. I did indeed. Mr. Brier put them inside his jacket. He didn't read them at the table with the other things in the mail. Thank you, Vera. You may go. Do you believe me now, Lou?
4: I'll see what I can find. Okay, if I take the envelope? Certainly. But be careful with it. I went over to the Gotham Delicatessen on Hollywood Boulevard for a Reuben and a coffee. Now, I had a witness who saw the letters that were sent to Briar right before his death. The envelope was heavy white cardstock. It was addressed in a faint script, slanted, uneven. I couldn't tell that the handwriting was from a woman or a man. It's possible that Irene paid Vera to lie about the letters. But Vera looked like the type who wore a scapula under her uniform and went to confession every Saturday night.
7: Hey, what gives? Are you on my tail? Come again? I saw you at the studio this morning when I had my hair pins in. Are you a new fink for Smitty? Relax, I'm nobody's fink. Then why do I keep bumping into you? Just lucky, I guess.
4: You're under contract at Minerva?
7: Well, I wasn't scrubbing floors and pin curls at a face full of powder. You better not be a spy. I told you, I'm not on the studio payroll. Oh, I see. It just happenstance that you sat down next to me at this lunch counter.
4: It was an empty seat. I'm hungry. You got a problem with that?
7: Sorry, hun. I get crabby these days. It's this reducing program they got me on. Broth and a green salad. I'm half starved. Jeez, if you're slimming, why'd you come here? Because mm, it smells so good. Smells like home. Like Lindy's after a show. You're from New York, too, aren't you?
4: Originally? I know how you feel. When I first came out here, I thought I'd never be able to survive in a place that didn't have the automat. Ah,
7: jeez. Don't get me started on missing the automat. I could weep. Their lemon meringue, a citrus cloud that melts on your tongue. I tell you, it's a thing of grace and beauty on a plate. I'm Gina, by the way. Gina Gallo. Sure, I've seen your name in the columns. I'm uh, Lou Mulraney. Lou?
4: It's short for Louise. It's a family name, but it doesn't suit. I hear you.
7: So, if you're not working for the studio, what's your line? Private investigator. Lady Dick, no fooling. Maybe that explains the homemade shoes you're wearing. Or on your uppers?
4: Money's not everything, Gina.
7: You're crazy. The only people who talk that way don't have any. What's more important? Freedom. Be your own boss, answer to no one. I'll trade a little independence for mink on my shoulders, thank you. What are you investigating?
4: I am looking into what might have contributed to Briar's death.
7: Oh boy, that was terrible. I felt so bad when the news broke. Gone, just like that. There's a theory that uh, your boss was rattled by some letters. Somebody put the bite on him? Maybe. You notice anything? I only met with Briar once, the day I signed my contract. They had a photographer snap a photo for the trades. But now that I think of it, I might have seen something. Really? Like what? When we were shooting backstage babes. On lunch breaks, I saw someone come in out of Briar's office a couple of times. What's backstage babes? Holy smokes, that looks good. Go ahead, eat your sandwich. Don't let me stop you. Uh, Backstage Babes should premiere at the end of the month or early February. It's about two rival showgirls trying to catch a break on Broadway. They compete for a lead role in an important producer.
4: Who'd you see coming out of the mogul's office?
7: I ain't trying to sound like I'm on a high horse and say it's wrong to go after the boss. I mean, he was good looking in that daddy sort of way, if that's what you go for. And who goes for the elder type? The dame who topped the bill for backstage babes, Poppy Jordan. Publicists tried to copy the picture and drummed up some big feud between us. Poppy's okay by me, honest. She's got an image as a hey-hey girl, but the truth is, she works like a dog, like most dames who make good out here. I'm telling you, Lou, the hours we work and the way they expect us to live on rabbit food takes some doing. Well, mink don't come cheap. You're telling me. You think Poppy had an affair with Briar? Powerful. Rich. Gal could do worse. Why else was she with him in his private office instead of the executive dining room? Maybe Poppy's tired of that mudraker she's married to. I bet he really cramps her social life. Nobody wants Winston in the house. If he, may, if he does take a guest list... It's only because they're afraid of what they'll print about him, if they don't. Yeah, you're probably right. Did Poppy know you saw her leaving Briar's office? Not the first time. I was turning a corner on my way back from the commissary when I saw her coming out. Next time I saw her, she walked into me outside his door. She said she was just delivering an invitation to the rat party. She gave him an invitation to a party in his own studio? No, no. The front office gave us a little bonus for bringing it in ahead of schedule. We got the whole weekend off. The wrap party wasn't in the studio. They moved it to the night boat. The night boat? Ever hear that gag about going Ivy League for the weekend? They sail on the S.S. Yale that runs out of San Pedro down to San Francisco. I didn't go. I was too beat. I went to bed with a hot water bottle.
4: Thanks, Gina. Say, you want the other half of my Reuben?
7: Oh, I could murder it. You're a good egg, Lou. What's the name (laughs) on this new file again? Winston Montgomery. Pfft.
3: Sounds as fake as Fifi D'Orsay.
4: Could be. Half the name's out here fake, though. What's one more?
3: Don't tell me you're soft on him.
4: Jeez, just because I don't make a federal case out of his name, that means I'm soft on him?
3: I've seen his picture in Studio Scoop. I know your type. Charvey shirt, silk tie, built like the Iceman.
4: Yeah, sex isn't everything,
3: you know. Uh-huh. Hey, how's the carpet in your office? I forgot to check and see if Sean cleaned up. You bet he did.
4: He knew I'd shout the walls down if he didn't.
3: It's funny how you think nothing of walking into a room full of gangsters. But a little mouse drives you off the deep end.
4: It wasn't a mouse. Kate, it was a rat. A gigantic, filthy rat. And you don't want to talk. You tremble at the sight of a spider.
3: Some of them are poisonous. I don't mess with spiders. Maybe that's why you don't need a husband. Because you can just pick up the phone and get one of your brothers to play exterminator.
4: Why should I deprive the boys of feeling heroic? They enjoy looking out for the
3: baby sis.
4: Uh Uh-huh. Before you go home, Can you do me a favour and book a one-way passage on the Yale, for San Francisco? For tomorrow, January 6th? Yep. I think it sails at uh, four or five. I'll take the train back Saturday morning.
3: Since when do you go for a booze cruise? That's not your crowd.
4: It is business, not pleasure.
3: Better wear a turtleneck and long underwear. Think it'll be that cold? I'm not talking about the weather. You need something to ward off passengers with busy hands. Night boats are floating brothels.
4: Yeah, I'll take beeswax.
3: Good. You might need
4: it. Can you also ring publicity at Minerva, see if they'll send over a press book for backstage babes, and if they don't have one printed yet, ask them for a list of cast and crew. I want everybody who worked on the picture. <coughs> <coughs> I rang Winston to check if Poppy had sailed with the backstage babes party last month. She had. I left a message with Irene's maid, Vera, that I was following up on a lead out of town and would be in touch. I left a note in my bungalow on North Kenmore Avenue, in case one of my brothers stopped by looking for a meal or a sofa to crash on. Then I drove down to the pier at San Pedro. It seemed like my two cases had suddenly merged into one. Poppy was catting around with the boss, and somebody found out. My plan was to find a crew member on the Yale who worked on December 16th when the backstage babes' revelers were on board. Maybe, if I was lucky, one of the sailors would remember Poppy and Briar canoodling or sharing a cabin. The way I figured it, anybody could have seen them carrying on and then put the squeeze on Briar. I might be able to tie up both cases by tomorrow.
2: Hey, Toots, let me buy you a drinky-poo when the bar opens. What do you say?
3: Yeah, back off, I saw first. Listen, sugar, why don't you give him the
4: air and come with me? I got plenty of jack in my pocket.
2: Why don't you get wise and leave my girl alone? I'll flatten your beak if you don't scram.
4: You look like a bum. Your old man is a bum, too. And I bet your mama swings her purse all along the docks.
2: I made 30 smacks a week. More than you, I bet. Don't you say nothing against my dear old ma.
6: Son of a fish wife.
2: Take that, you scabby piker.
4: Yeah, if this is a floor show, it's going to be a hell of a long boat ride. Thanks for listening. Hollywood Medusa is a Sassmouth Dames production, written and directed by Mega McGurk. Starring Lou Mulrainey is played by Clara Higgins. Smitty Betty Smith is played by Olympia Kiriakou. Irene Breyer is played by M. Sean. Poppy Jordan and Vera are played by Savannah Monroe. Gina Gallo is played by Renee Smith. Kate Lawler is played by Laura Mawson. Winston Montgomery is played by Patrick McGurk. Cyril Hardwick is played by Peter Bryant. Reggie Fitz and Random Dude Number One are played by Shane McCormick. Art design by Mott Collins. Sound editing and special effects by Tom O'Mahony.
0: Stay tuned for episode two. I'm watching the sea For the one that I love Must surely come back to me Someday, somehow, sometimes